Hi, I'm Rachel O'Mara, author of Pause, harnessing the life-changing power of giving yourself a break. I'm excited that you're here today and joining me on the Pausecast, where I interview thought leaders in the world of raising our consciousness, emotional intelligence, and helping us really reach our potential. For more information, you can go to my website, rachelomara.com, and download my free guidebook, How to Turn Burnout into Thriving at Work. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I am here with a very special guest, Derek Sivers. Hi, Derek. How are you doing today? Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. I wanted to share a little bit about you before we speak. I know I've known you for a few years and I'd heard about you before that, being in the tech world. But for those of you who don't know Derek, I want to share a little bit about uh, about about him, who currently you live in the UK. I know you're a man of the world, and uh, you're in Oxford, right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big rower, so uh, I don't know if oh, you see cool. the, the rowers on the on the on the river there anymore. But I've been there when I was 16, and it's been a, a big fond place for me. So it's great that you live there. So Derek has been a musician, a producer, a circus performer, entrepreneur, TEDx speaker, and book publisher. And I know you're already uh, working on your latest book, which we'll talk about. You were the founder of CD Baby. And being a double clicker, I I was well aware of CD Baby in the tech world. And and, uh, you've really, I see you as like a thought leader for contributing to how to shape and influence uh, society and, and how we think about ourselves and about communication and music. And I, I have a, a lot of respect for you and just in, in terms of what you bring to the table in terms of your mini podcast. I know you've got a podcast as well under your name, Derek Sivers. And overall, just contribute a great deal to, I think, um, great points that, that are really that really matter different points of view <clears throat> you also endorsed the book pause so i'm always grateful for that and i feel like this interview is not an interview a conversation is full circle and one thing that does stand out to me that i i don't know if a lot of people call you out for is the uh the youtube video that you did with the with the dancing leader the first follower and i've seen that in so many trainings I use it myself. People still talk about it today. You probably made that over a decade ago now, but I just want you to know like that's an example of Derek's work and just some thought that's put out into the ether that grabs hold of of more and then kind of snowballs and all of a sudden it's a big concept first follower. So welcome, Derek. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you. And, And likewise, back at you, I've spent a few hours of my life reading your words and a few hours of my life listening to your show and it's good to finally speak with you live i know this is the first time you and i are speaking live and we've had many email conversations so it's just lovely to to communicate in this new way (laughs) with you and i wanted to invite you to lead us if you're up for it for a guided pause how does that sound yeah let's do it so I like your definition of pause and my version of it is to stop and rethink things. Um, I think we often need to rethink things like you, 
maybe you thought you wanted to, to travel the world or start your own business or get a dog, <laughs> but now you find out that you can't, or maybe you tried it and it wasn't what you hoped. So very often I have to go back to the drawing board and rethink my decisions. So I open up a blank page and I start writing. And I always start with some question. And I'm usually compelled to start writing because something feels wrong. So I ask, what's wrong? And then I answer that. Uh, and I write and I write until I have nothing more to say about that. And then I always have to ask, when something feels really wrong, I always have to stop and ask, am I in danger? Am I in pain? And the answer is always no. So, okay, I'm fine. It's nice to remember, I'm fine. <laughs> so let's ask again, what am I upset about? And I'll answer that. And then when I have nothing more to say about that, I'll ask something like, why is that bad? Uh, or what could be good about this problem? And that's a hard one. If you're upset, you have to think until you have a few answers to that. Because if you're in a bad mood, trying to think what's good about this uh, doesn't come very naturally. So some of the questions I ask are, why did I want this in the first place? Like, What was the original uh, inspiration to make me want this? And has the situation changed now? Like maybe the situation has changed so much that the original reason I wanted this is moot. Uh, is there another way to get what I wanted? Uh, okay, well, that's one way. What's another way? Or what's easier now considering the new situation? Or what's the most direct way to get what I wanted? Or what if I embraced the opposite and decided to do the opposite of what I had planned just to try on another approach? Like, what would the opposite look like? And for each of these things, I've got to be clear, I'm not just sitting there with my eyes closed asking questions. That would be pretty pointless. Uh, so instead, I actually make myself answer each one. Uh, sometimes this can go on for a couple hours, but it's so useful. Um, I ask myself, like, what would be the most interesting new plan of action? looking at the different options. What would be the most interesting? What would be the plan that goes with the flow of my past experiences? Like if I look at my past actions, what do I naturally seem to gravitate towards? That's an important one. I feel like that's been a hard lesson learned that my actions often disagree with my words. Like I'll, I'll say I want to do something over and over again for years, even to myself. But if I look at my actions, I don't really seem to want to do that, in fact. So anyway, yeah, I go through this process almost every week um, about something going on in my life whenever I'm at some kind of fork in the road, some decision moment or some time to reconsider uh, where I'm at. You're posing some really contemplative reflections for me. I don't know about our listeners, but that whole idea of writing things down, <clears throat> I know for me, it's also really therapeutic and helps me sort my thoughts. So yeah. I, I also know you do write a great amount every day. It sounds like you're, at the, you're writing 12 hours a day sometimes and just going through that. And um, so, so I just I want to make sure I understand what you're sharing in that 
you, you would just write down, what am I afraid of? And then just start a stream of consciousness of what you are afraid of in the moment. Is that what I'm, is that what happens? Exactly. Yeah. Like I actually write down the question and then, yeah, I just try to empty out my head, put all of my concerns into writing um, just so I can see them. And then, and then always kind of pushing myself to squeeze out that last little drop, you know, like when the toothpaste tube is almost done, you're like, come on, I could get a little more out of that. <laughs> uh, so I always try to squeeze out every last thought. Like, is that really everything? Is that everything I think about this? And I'm like, yeah. And then when I feel empty, uh, like then I go on to the next question. So yeah, it's really therapeutic, but also really useful to save these, especially if you keep coming back to a certain subject in your life, maybe a certain relationship in your life that's kind of ongoing difficult, it would really help to have all your thoughts about that relationship in one place. So you can see what you wrote about it three months ago or three years ago. Um, yeah, maybe it's a, you know, a, yeah. a job choice or even the place you live. Sometimes, you know, what are my thoughts on California <laughs> and my ongoing uh, relationship with this place, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, where are you from in California? I was born in Berkeley, uh, but then left when I was six years old. But it wasn't until later when I moved to Santa Monica that I felt like, oh, yeah, this is my place. Like Santa Monica okay. really felt like home. Yeah. All right. Well, that's exciting. I am in the Bay Area myself, so I like that Berkeley's right across the Bay there for me. Yeah. So regarding this process, what is the result that it yields for you and how do in like in that how how does it help you feel more connected to yourself? And how like that's my that's my link, I think, between pausing. So I call I define a pause as any intentional shift in behavior. This is clearly you intending to shift as you process and write. What what is the effect of that for yourself, just personally on a daily basis? What does that do for you from, a, from an emotional and, and physical standpoint? Um, I'll give some concrete examples. I mean, it helped me realize yeah. uh, recently that I can give away all my musical instruments and stop feeling torn about not making music. Um, a few months ago, it helped me realize that I want to move to New York City and then, oops, uh, COVID, wait, never mind, new situation. <laughs> it Ooh. helped me stop and reassess all of that because I was really, I'd even booked the flight. I was ready to get a little apartment in Tribeca and live in the middle of Manhattan and uh, kind of join that life again that I, I used to live there years ago. I actually have lived there two or three times. And I just felt like, yeah, I'm ready to do that again. And yeah, booked the flight and all of that. And I was then uh, suddenly month or so ago had to say, wait a minute, I think the situation has changed and the reasons I want to oh, go boy. there are different now. And uh, yeah, so I had to just reassess all of that. So I've put many, many, many hours into reassessing that whole wow. decision and why and came to the conclusion that I want to move back to New Zealand. Um, so that's a concrete one. Uh, I also, the reason I'm living in England is because I moved here to travel my butt off in Europe. Uh, I was hopping on planes every week to go visit, you know, 50 places in Europe. I'd always wanted to get to know better. That's why I'm here. And now I can't do that. So I had to mm-hmm. reassess all of that and what it means to me and why do I travel? What's the point? How can I still get the benefit of that? What's the most direct way to do that? And all of those questions. So kind of helped me 
first make peace with the idea of not traveling. I like to take thought experiments to an extreme. Uh, like in that case, I would, the thought experiment would be, what if I could never travel ever again? And would I be okay with that? So I make my peace with that. And I think, okay, well, what was the original reason I'm traveling? I'm not a hedonistic type. I was really doing it to learn more about these other cultures. Well, is it possible to learn about a culture without getting on an airplane? Yes, of course it is. Okay, how can I do that? Um, and even just little programming projects I'm doing, sometimes it just makes me or helps me question why I'm doing them. Um, what's the real point? Why did I start this project? Um, and I guess lastly, it gives me creative insights into alternate paths to get what mm -hmm. I want. You know, you often start down the path that's obvious. And then maybe halfway down the path, you realize that uh, the obvious path is not the optimum path and so on. I don't know what you're talking about, Derek. <laughs> of course not. Never ever did that. Just kidding. <laughs> well, I think that's so cool, like helpful in that you're uh, shifting every time, whether you're, you're, you're literally assessing when, as you write or after you write or in the process at some level. And, and it does sound like as someone who's lived in many places, uh, you've had many opportunities to pause and you've taken uh, what we call the gap year in the UK, probably longer, things like that. Tell us a little bit about how pausing for you has helped. Because I think of pausing as not just this uh, blank slate, like a time period, but may maybe opportunities that may not have presented themselves before. And I'm curious, uh, just given your background and, and what you learned along the way, how, how has that helped and what have you gotten um, out of it? Hmm. I mean, really everything, like that concrete, the concrete examples I just gave are really how it helps me the most, right? Like it's, yeah, it's helped me avoid, not avoid disappointment, no, process disappointment, right? Like, um, I often deliberately do these life experiments, you know, um, let's see what happens if, let's see what happens if that, let's see what happens if this. Uh, and I go try things just to have a life adventure, you know, to kind of live a full life. So <laughs> someday when I can't walk anymore and whatever that I'm looking back at a full life. So I often do these ridiculous life experiments, often just based on some kind of theory, like, hmm, in theory, it might be nice to do such and such. And I'll try it. And then it's usually, things in practice are usually not what you think they would be in theory. There's always this difference between in theory and in practice. So I, <laughs> I use this pausing and reflecting time to, to process that and reevaluate, like I said. So yeah, sorry, yeah, your definition of the changing of actions. Um, when we first talked about doing this conversation, um, I forgot to you know, explicitly say, like to me, the, the changing of actions always first starts with this process of rethinking it, you know, an intentional shift in behavior comes after an intentional shift in how you're thinking of things. So gotcha. that's why, sorry, I didn't explicitly say that, but that's why I'm focused so much on, on how I think of things. I have to realign my beliefs in order to shift my behavior. 
Mm -hmm. That's a great way to think about it. Literally where it's almost like a process of, yeah, thinking first and then doing and, and regarding this experimental life you're, you're, you're using for different, different components and creating different mini experiments. I commend you for that. I think that is such an underutilized way of being and I'm curious if you're, if you're in one right now, <laughs> if you would share it. And, uh, and then the other thing I want to say about that is I don't think people think about their life as an adventure enough. And I feel sad about that. Like I, I, I know I've been, the only way I've grown as a, uh, someone who's like stepping out of my comfort zone is through those types of experiments and living my life as an adventure and thinking of it like that when I feel like I want to stay stuck or something like that. So I'm curious, uh, you know, do you have, do you have one you want to share that that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, well, let me be clear. They're not uh, they're not tiny. They're they're usually like massive life size. So, did yeah. you by any chance see the movie? It's probably twenty years old at this point. Called Big Fish with Ewan McGregor. Gosh, I think I did, but it was so long ago. I don't remember. But I okay. I love so, Ewan McGregor. So yes, in, in the movie Big Fish, I, I think he he's got a Mississippi accent on and he plays a guy that's like off to go discover the world. I think he came from a small town in Mississippi and he wants to go discover the world. I think Tim Burton directed it. Um, So one of the first places he goes, as soon as he ventures out of his town to go see the world, he stumbles on this forest with spiders and then it opens up into this little paradise of a village where everybody is like the sweetest person in the world and the weather is perfect and the all the food is the most delicious food he's ever had and everybody there loves him and they're all like stay stay and he spends one night there in the morning he says now i'm sorry i just i need to go see the world i mean this has got to be the sweetest place i've ever seen but i i can't believe i'm saying this but i'm gonna have to go have my adventure so that's how I felt about Santa Monica. I mm-hmm. lived in Santa Monica for five years or so and loved it so much that I felt like it was the end of the rainbow. Like, why, why would you ever go anywhere else? It's funny, my girlfriend at the time wanted to travel the world. I was like, travel? No. We, we live in Santa Monica. Like, what, you're going to find a better place than this? This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I refused to even travel. I just, I was so happy there. And then, while reading some random book, I came across, like, a paragraph that said, um, if you want to keep learning and growing, you need to, you need to be surprised Unless you're surprised, you're not really learning. If you're not surprised, then everything you're experiencing just fits into your existing (laughs) understanding of the world. And so, you know, some of the ways you can continue to surprise yourself or learn about things that you know nothing about, you know, read a book about, you know, shrimp fishing or whatever it may be. Um, And then he said, um, moving to a place that's completely different than where you grew up is one of the best ways to surprise yourself on a daily basis because then everything around you will be unlike what you know. Mm -hmm. And Rachel, I read this one little thought and it was just like in that second, the wires in my brain reconfigured themselves and I went, I need to get out of here. Like I'm like that guy in Big Fish. Like I'm, 
I'm so comfortable that I could see myself getting stuck here. And sorry, I think that was the point in Big Fish. He, he felt like, I better leave now. Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to like spend eternity here. So I forced myself to leave my favorite place on earth in the name of learning and growing. And even more so, the idea that came out a few days later was like, I've spent the first 40 years of my life in the U.S. I'm going to spend the next 40 out. Um, I'm going to force myself to yeah. not live in the U.S. And for the next 40 years. So I'm still living that grand experiment that just came from a paragraph in a book and just a rewiring of values and, you know, talk about an intentional shift in behavior comes That's from- That's so cool. Yeah, I, uh, yep, that would be <laughs> definitely a pause because it could be something that- you you intend you intended and that's what it sounds like and I'm 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 going to be renting uh I don't rent movies anymore I'm going to be watching Big Fish very soon again <laughs> I hope it does I remember every now and then I remember things so wrong there were there was a book called Island by Aldous Huxley that totally changed my life and I made yeah. some massive changes in my life because of like a single page in that book so then 20 years later I went back to read it again. I couldn't find that page anywhere in the book. I think I might have been making <laughs> it up. I don't know what happened. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, gosh, that sounds like a good run too. I I know. Um, a big, I'm a big fan of Alice Huxley. And speaking of surprises, I love what you're sharing about that because that is how we notice new things and our awareness kind of goes off the charts for everything, especially if you're out of the country and your entire world has changed. And I feel like that's what we're all experiencing right now in our, right now you and I were in the current pandemic of COVID-19. So I'm curious, you know, what, what are you personally doing? Uh, anything different or is it just, is it the same as you experience life right now in this world of what I would call a forced pause where we didn't really get a choice in this, but it's, it is what it is. Yeah. My day-to-day -day life isn't any different. I mean, already for the past year, I've, been completely isolated just waking up and writing for 15 hours every day in my little cottage on the edge of the English countryside. Um, but the way it's affected me is the stuff I mentioned earlier, where it's like, I moved to England so I could use it as a home base for weekly travels. Uh, specifically chose Oxford because of the great schools for my son but now the schools are all shut down and we can't travel. Mm -hmm. So I just had to rethink the whole situation and ask myself that question of like, well, even though I'm here now, would I have chosen to move to Oxford now, given the new situation? Uh, no. So I think it's time to go. Mm. So it sounds like more of a macro shift in, in that. Yeah. And, and yeah, your, your move to New York has been now on pause, I suppose. Well, now, it's moved. <laughs> yeah. now it's even re rerouted itself to New Zealand potentially. Yeah. yeah, and and I think a lot of times, uh, whether it's dealing in uncertainty like now or just in general, there's really a need to refresh and renew. And uh, is there anything that you do particularly for this? To refresh and renew? Yeah, yeah. Just sleep. <laughs> no, I don't have a, uh, I don't have like a, a down, mm -hmm. power down routine or anything like that. I just, uh, 
I, I'm, I'm one of those um, little Energizer bunny type. Like I bounce out of bed at 5.30 in the morning and I'm just fingers flying, typing at full speed until I droop and drop at midnight and sleep for five hours and do it again. Um, so I think just sleep. Although, you know, sometimes it can be in the middle of the day. Like sometimes you're sitting there working on something yeah. and your brain just feels stuck. And I yeah. love, I've been doing this for like 20 years now. I love when I feel that I just step up. I like, I stand up, I walk away and I actually go lie down somewhere. I'll just lie on the couch with no intention. Like, I'm not even saying mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm meditating now. No, I'm not even saying anything. I'm just like, I'm just going to lie down. I'm being. And, yeah. yeah, and I'll just lie down. And what usually happens is whatever I was stuck on, without me meaning it to, uh, it works itself out in my head. And suddenly, after five minutes or 20 minutes, I kind of go, oh, oh, yeah, okay, I know. And then, you know, I jump up and I'm back at it. Um, so... Yeah, I guess that's something I do to refresh and renew too. That's just like a that few counts. minutes. Yeah. But for the most part, it's just, I sleep well. I think that's important to note too, Derek, in that sleep, we just don't, we just don't uh, really emphasize it enough in that it's so important for us. And I know for me, I've, I've had my bouts of not sleeping and, and, uh, and I think what, what I'm hearing out of your story is, is, you're following you're following your deeper desires every day you're you're feeling fulfilled you're writing you're creating you're learning you're with your son you're connecting so pandemic or not you're feeling fulfilled and that's so important and i think that is renewal in itself and i feel uh mm. that a lot of us kind of bypass that and we think oh no i don't have time for x or this is this is my to-do list and you still have a to-do list you're you're probably busier than many people at this point and yet you feel renewed and I think that yeah I think that the connection I am making is when we are when we are following our deeper desires our yearnings then we are fulfilled in itself and it's a it's a it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way because you're you're acting on what matters to you and and then when we have those dreams or we have the thoughts of things that we want to do, but they're flighting and we just push them aside because we got to do X, Y, Z, then that's when we're not renewed and we need right. to really step into care. And that's where we get ourselves in, in a bind. So I, I commend you for that because that's what I think a lot of us um, have, have on our plate to want to find is, is that balance and and just of like getting getting what my my yearnings are to get met and, and you do a good job of that i think thank you nice work <laughs> yeah um <laughs> it's funny i i lead a very tranquil life i mean i say no to everything and say yes to almost nothing so my life is actually really it feels the opposite of busy um and so that's why Sometimes people ask if I meditate or do yoga and I don't because my life is already so tranquil that mm -hmm. um, I just don't have a, a yearning to make it even more so. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and, it, it, and it's what works for you and it's on your yeah. terms. I think yeah. that's the other, the other lesson or theme I'm, I'm getting is, is uh, you know, this, we call it the internal locus of control. 
in the behavioral psychology world and I don't know if you know that term, but mm-hmm. it's just about orienting towards you. And that's exactly what you're doing. So um, <laughs> I know I'm working on that myself and and uh, and wanting more of that every day. So it's great. It's great that you're saying no and creating those boundaries that you know are important for you and, and help. And I, um, and I think it's good food for thought uh, on why it matters to say no, because it needs, like sometimes that just has to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also, to be fair, it's a luxury to say no. I mean, I think a lot of people wish yeah. they could say no more often. So I think I've just kind of, you know, I'm 50 now. And at every stage of my life, since I was a teenager, I I think I just kind of chose that life path that would let me say no to more things. And so mm-hmm. I guess, you know, after 30 years of doing that, this is the result. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And now here you are opening up to more opportunities to connect with others. And I know you've had those moments and blocks of time where you didn't. And, and, and I know uh, you've, said, you've shared you write every day and, and you've got a book that's, that you're working on and you've been working on a, a few books in the, in, the, in the recent past. But tell us about this uh, How to Live book. <laughs> I'm very curious and um, it sounds really enticing. Sure. You know what? I was just thinking about something we were talking about two minutes ago. Yeah. Sorry, before the um, before talking about the book, that um, I actually just kind of realized something last night when I got your questions, and I was thinking about kind of lessons learned from this process. I had a fun metaphor, and you're the first person I've told this to, that when you're thinking through all of these different scenarios in my head, right? Like all those questions I started this conversation with, like all those questions are meant to bring up different possible futures. That's the way I think of it. It's like, I kind of start making a, Uh almost like a flip book of possible futures in my head, like a catalog of, I could do this, could do that. And I, I don't stop until I've got at least you know, 10 or 15 different options. And um, which is a problem. I I see some people kind of, once they get two options, now they think they need to decide. They've got a little mini dilemma. (laughs) They've got two options and now they have to choose. I said, no, 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 no. Never less than 10. Always get at least 10 options and then decide. But the reason is, last night I realized it's like when somebody's trying to break into a safe, a combination safe, you know how they put their ear to it as they're turning the little combination yeah, like lockdown? Yeah, like the Muppet movie? <laughs> exactly like the Muppets, <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> so it's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of cracking into a safe. The Muppets. Um, but mm-hmm. so they, they put their ear to the safe and, you know, they turn the numbers, you know, 47, 46. And they keep turning until they hear something click. And that's when they know that they've found the right number. So I thought about what I'm doing with this whole process is like I'm making a catalog of potential futures, possible futures. And then at some point, one of them clicks and I go, ah, yes, that's the one Um, I want to do. Yeah. Um, But this process can actually take a long time, like days or months or years. So after I sold my company uh, in 2008, I spent like a year and a half trying out possible futures in my head and none of them clicked for like a year and a half. I felt lost. 
And then one day, just like sitting on an airplane, still just running through possible futures in my head, just suddenly it was like, oh my God, I know what I want to do. And like for the first time in a year and a half, I like shot up straight in my seat and I was like furiously like planning out how I was going to make this happen. And I got so like more excited than I had been in a year and a half. And I was like, yep, that's the click. That's the one I was waiting for. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the ones that the ones that make you take action. You you can think of many possible futures in your head, but when you think of one that makes you jump into action, that's when you know you've found the right one. Mm, I like that sitting straight up in your seat when you know you feel like you've been hit by even something that feels stirring and you feel like you're perked up a little bit. Your ears are perked up. You're cracking the safe. Yeah, you've been hit by a Muppet. That's cool. You've been hit by a Muppet animal (laughs) going in there. So sorry, I I kind of uh, derailed. It was, you know, you asked me about my book, but I was still kind of two minutes in the past thinking of what we were just talking about. Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, we were, no no problem. We were talking about the book and I'm curious about uh, how to live. I mean, you know, I'm still writing it. So it's like, I'm not here to promote it or anything. But yeah, I'm still writing my next book called How to Live. And it is so damn fun because... Um, it's kind of the possible futures idea. Um, Imagine that, uh, well, let me back up. There's a brilliant book called Sum, S-U-M, by David Eagleman. And it's probably my single favorite book of all time because I adore the format. It's 40 answers to one question. So 40 different answers to the question of what happens when you die. And he makes them up as 40 little short stories. But each one starts out exactly the same. Each one says, when you die, this is what happens. And then the next chapter will say, when you die, this is what happens. But it's completely disagreeing with the previous chapter. And each chapter is just like two or three pages. So it's a blast to, to, it's just a massively creative format to make yourself come up with 40 radically different and conflicting answers to one question. And I loved this book so much. I read it a couple times over a couple years. And then one day while driving, I went, oh my God, I want to write a book called How to Live in that format, where I answer the question of how should you live your life in 40 different conflicting ways. Like each chapter completely convinced it has the right answer. This is how you should live your life. (laughs) Delay gratification, save all your money, you know, whatever. Uh, And then that chapter will completely one-sidedly argue in favor of this is how you should live. Determine, uh, you know, that it has the right answer. And then the next chapter will say, here's how to live. Fill your senses, do it all, see it all, taste it all, hear it all, touch it all. You're only on life. You're only in this world for a short time. Uh, you need to fill all your senses, and this is why. And it'll make a compelling argument why this is how you should live. And then the next chapter will completely disagree with that and say, "Here's how you should live: is steer towards the pain. You know, all growth comes from pain. <laughs> and once you know that, Full you can use ahead. that as your compass and always steer into the pain. Look for the painful situations. This is how you will grow. And so, yeah, now the book has." 27 of these one-sided arguments uh, in 27 chapters. And what's been a blast is throughout all of this, I found one 
surprising conclusion, but that's going to have to be a surprise for one. Oh, you're leaving me on a cliffhanger. Okay. <laughs> that is, well, what, okay. So some David Eagleson was your inspiration. Eagleman. Yeah. Eagleman, you got to find you. that book. It is so, okay. it's so good. It's everybody I've ever turned on to this book just gasps and squeals and sends me exclamation okay. points. Okay. I'm going to put it in the show notes too, because it sounds really interesting. And and I'm think all I all I'm thinking of as you share that is how often our like my brain goes into like oh this is the right way to do X like this is the right way to live and go to the pain and then you know the next day it could be completely different and my rash I rationalize the hell out of it and then think that's the way to go and and it's just like I feel like that's how our brains work and yep. so that's so cool to see them side by side like that I think yep. and that'll be just a fun reflection of wow, like we can all do that in our heads. <laughs> yeah, it's a blast to write. With each chapter, I actually do get completely convinced as I'm writing this chapter that this is, you know what? Forget all those other chapters. This is actually the way <laughs> this that is we it. all live. And then of course, yeah. you know, two days later, I'm on to the next chapter and then I'm convinced that that's the right way. Yeah, so it's it's a blast to write. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fun, funny, but in, it also helpful book, I hope. Oh, I like it, and 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 uh, the and the things that you're doing on your writing daily and in the, the creative process is that also helping feed that? Is that is that like a you know they mix intertwining a little bit sometimes? Hmm. One fits the other. Yeah, I mean, when I think after I had the idea to write this book, How to Live, I realized that I'm kind of uniquely suited to write this because this is what I've been doing in my diary for 10 years now is I'm mm -hmm. constantly trying on different approaches to life. You know, kind of like I described in Santa Monica. Okay, now I'm sitting comfortably in a gorgeous tree house. I used to live in a tree house on 4th what? Street. Uh, it was That's a, exciting. a huge, it was like a, it, like, it was a spiral house that wrapped around a tree and overlooked <laughs> the ocean. It was just of course you did, Derek. <laughs> breathtaking and gorgeous. And I just felt like there's no place better on earth. And mm. that was one way to live. And then all it took was a paragraph in a book to make me think completely differently, think the opposite, think I need to avoid my comfort zone and constantly live wherever it's uncomfortable and alienating and surprising. And that was just, you know, I threw myself into that. And then, yeah, I've been, I lived in Singapore for a couple of years and I was completely convinced that uh, I should uh, be an entrepreneur in Singapore and, and raise my son in Asia and have him um, know many people around the different countries in Asia. And I started a publishing company about 16 countries in Asia and constantly publishing books about that. And then, and then it, you know, once he was six months old, I thought, wait, no, I want my kid to grow up in nature. I'm mm. moving to New Zealand. <laughs> so it's like, I've already been living this like deliberately conflicting approaches to life um, uh, way of living for years and just thinking of even, you know, dozens more in my diary and living out these hypotheticals and yeah, I've, I've been basically kind of writing this book for 10 years. So it's exciting yeah. to turn it into something concrete like this. Yeah, I think it sounds really cool. I'm going to definitely be checking out some and then uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the updates on on how to live. Thanks. Speaking of how to live, <laughs> uh, knowing we're in this in this uncertain time and moving through things in ways that are unprecedented, good or for better or for worse, 
what would you like to share as a, 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 a you know, any, any thoughts on how to be uh, creative during this time or finding that, that adventure or joy, even when sometimes it may not be what it seems on the outside? Hmm. When everything first hit the fan, I emailed my whole mailing list um, because I know a lot of them. I know a lot of the people on my mailing list. So I just decided to email everybody saying, how are you? And yes, this is a real question. Please reply. Let me know if you're okay. And I got something like 7,000 replies. And I replied to all of them. Um, and I read all of them, of course. So um, the, the impression I got, like I felt like the big lesson learned from reading 7,000 people's updates on how they were doing with this is that most people don't make a change in their life until something pushes them out of the nest, right? Like a lot of people in the world are kind of stuck in a rut and they'll stay there until something pushes them out. Most people don't make a change themselves. They kind of need somebody else to make it for them. Mm -hmm. So many people are changing their behavior right now, willingly or not. Uh, so I think if you have anything in your life that you've ever wanted to change, like now's the best time to do it mm -hmm. because the whole world is taking a sick day in the big scheme of things. Um, nobody's expecting much of anybody right now. And it's a great time to deliberately make any change you've been putting off. Yeah. A sick day. That is a great way to be thinking about it as we're pushed out of the nest. Thank you for that thought. And, and I agree, oh man, just uh, knowing, knowing there's, there's a lot of opportunity um, to change and what better time now in, in this, in this, in this pause and, and uh, like really think, thinking, rethinking and just understanding what could be different and maybe deciding what you'd want, maybe one little shift. That's awesome. Hey, want to know something cool? The whole time we've yeah. been talking in my little house here in Oxford, England, it's been raining. And then just like two minutes ago, it got like weirdly sunny all of a sudden. And just now there is a huge giant arcing rainbow across no the whole sky. No way! Big ocean yeah. picture. Classic. That's exciting. Speaking of the Muppets. Oh. Why there you are go. there so many <laughs> songs about rainbows? All right. Lovely, yes. And, and uh, the Muppets bring it home with the rainbow and, and Mother Earth. And, and Derek, <laughs> thank you so much will for find this, the rainbow this lovely time. song ending. And um, just thank you so much for being on the podcast today and, <laughs> and contributing in this way. You're, you're a joy to, to talk to, and, and I enjoy how present you are and just being you know so real so thanks so much and uh keep singing keep singing your songs thanks, so much. <laughs> well, thanks rachel i mean i loved your book i love what you do i love your podcast and it's been great to finally talk with you oh you're welcome thank you so much thanks for listening today i'm